You are tuned into CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. We have in studio tonight, Brennan and Jody and Dave, and we'll hear from Craig and Hank as well. And we'll have a quick plug with Steve Boyd, who we talked to last week about his big event, which is tomorrow, Saturday, October 15th at the uh, Sandman Hotel. It's Sask Assemble. It's a little mini Comic-Con. So we will get to that in a little bit. We're going to lead today with two things that Dave and I watched on Netflix. There's a special called Facing Nolan, and it's a documentary about pitcher Nolan Ryan. And if you haven't heard of him, then you kind of miss like the last three decades of baseball because like he played for 27 years which is a crazy long time for any kind of player, but for somebody who throws 108 miles an hour, that's insane. Yeah, it is. So if I know there are a lot of Canadian baseball fans and baseball nerds right now that maybe are not able to watch the baseball that they hoped they would be watching this October, this this is a good one and actually does have a fair bit of apex blue jays content in it as well now there it's because they're being facing a no hitter against nolan ryan so there's not a lot of blue jay excitement in it but it is fun to see that old lineup that won two world series right near the end of nolan's career yeah he was an amazing player he broke like 51 records for baseball he is, he had seven no hitters, which is unbelievable, and yet never won a Cy Young Award, which is a gross oversight. Uh, he was a good Texas boy, had a nice family. They really focus on that a lot, which kind of always makes me suspicious that maybe there's got to be some dirt somewhere that, because it's just like way too squeaky clean. But uh, they talked to some interesting people in this documentary. Pete Rose features pretty highly. They they get George Bush in there to talk. Of course, he was uh, the Texas Rangers, a big contributor to that franchise. It's directed and written by Bradley Jackson, who's done like a lot of weird hodgepodge stuff, but has done some documentaries. And he does a good job, I think, of this, showing who uh, Nolan Ryan is and explaining a lot of like the baseball stuff so that people who aren't huge, huge fans can understand. It's not as nerdy as I would have liked because he does have such incredible stats but it is more approachable. There is a better baseball movie that you should watch. Yeah, which is much nerdier and also has lots to say about Nolan Ryan. And I thought a lot about it while we were watching this. It's called Fastball and it came out in 2016. It's very easy to find. Like one Google search of Fastball 2016 will take you right to it. And it's a documentary about the history of trying to measure the speed of the fastball. And all the ways, like going back to like 1910, how scientists tried to measure the speed of the pro pitcher's pitches. And yeah, they did some ridiculous things. Like, is the baseball faster than a horse? Is it faster than a car? Can we throw it through a wire screen that's electrified and figure out how fast it's going? Uh, all, all the different ways that that has been measured. And I mean, like, that's always been a number that baseball nerds have been obsessed with is like, how hard is that guy throwing and who's throwing at the hardest? Yeah, the best answer is ask the catcher how much his hand hurts and then you will know how fast it is. Yeah. But it's bo both are really good, good shows and you should absolutely check them out. Um, it's interesting and the Nolan Ryan 
documentary is it's it's a feel good it's a nice one you can watch with your family mm -hmm. so that's good the other one that just came out on netflix as well is the new comedy special the king's jester this is hassan minhaj and it is really good uh you may know him from his show patriot act He's also had a stand-up special uh, before about five years ago called Homecoming King. And it delves into his whole process of basically antagonizing some of the most powerful leaders in the world and how that has affected like his young family. Yeah, I, I think two things that stood out for us as stand-up comedy fans with this one, two things that maybe Hassan does a little differently is he is really totally in command of his audience. Like the people that pay money to go see him, love him, will surrender their phones at the door to get a chance to see him. And he, he gets the reactions that he wants just because he is beloved by his fans. He's also maybe the best stand-up comedian in terms of producing his own specials and combining the kinds of visual effects that were used to such great effect on Patriot Act. And these are not, he doesn't overdo it. But when he puts a graphic on the backdrop of the stage or gets the camera to do some kind of special angle to aid him in a punchline, it is a little bit hammy, but he's a stand-up comedian after all. And it is done to pretty tremendous effect. So that it just kind of has to be seen to be believed. Yeah, he is a good producer and he uses the tools and resources at his disposable in a really effective way. So yeah, if you if you like political humor, you should absolutely check this out. Even though it's not particularly political in this realm, it's really more personal and, and delves into like how being political has affected his personal life. But it's fascinating and it's a really good show. Yeah, the costs of that like John Stewart, Trevor Noah style comedy that a lot of us really like is maybe something we don't think about. We think about those guys being untouchable mm -hmm. and, and maybe just like free to say whatever they want. But after you watch Court Jester, yeah, you may consider how you speak out on Twitter, et cetera, even though you are a nobody and nobody follows you, you might get seen by the wrong people. So uh, it's interesting. Check that one out. Okay, we are going to hear from Steve Boyd next, and then we'll throw over to Craig and Hank. And then when we come back, we are all going to talk about some comics. So... Take it away. So just a quick reminder for everybody in case you forgot or you haven't been working on your costume yet for Sask Assemble, it is this Saturday. I'm with Steve Boyd. Give us the deets. What do people need to know about this amazing event? You need to know that Sask Assemble is, it's the first year I've ever done this show here in town. I'm really excited. Uh, it's from 10 to four on uh, October 15th, this Saturday. And it's $5 admission, kids 12 and under get in free. We're going to have comics, we're going to have toys. There's going to be people in costumes, we're going to have hourly door prizes. We're going to have uh, prizes for some of the costumers too. So uh, it's going to be amazing. So we want you to, to come out. Yeah, and there's going to be some really cool local creators there as well. People who are making comics in our community. So you can like grab their stuff meet them in person, get stuff signed, maybe find some inspiration to make your own comic and join this amazing group of people. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's big community here, big collectors. Uh, it's collector-driven. So if you're into comics or toys, we encourage you. Please Excellent. come Excellent. Okay, thanks for the scoop, and we will see everybody there on Saturday. See you there. 
Hey, everybody, it's Craig Silliphant here on Punch Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM. And I am joined, as always, by my extra handsome co-host, Hank Cruz. Yeah, I'm extra something, extra terrestrial. I don't know. Is that still a thing? Extra crispy? Yeah. Uh, so we got a few things to talk about today. You Do you want to start? Or... Oh, I'm going to start because I, I can't I can't keep this inside any longer. Like yeah. I am very excited because uh, m- m- some people know that I uh, can't get enough of Scooby-Doo. So I like every Scooby-Doo movie. I used to collect Scooby-Doo merchandise. I'm all about the Scooby-Doo. So they released trick or treat scooby-doo which is the first scooby-doo in years that actually made a couple headlines because uh i don't know if you're sitting down for this or not but uh velma i i I know this is gonna shock you but um she's a lesbian now so finally yes yes the 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 word the word is out there that after all of these years of scooby-doo um that velma now so in this trick-or-treat scooby-doo uh there is um this uh, other character that velma gets quite smitten with smitten with so it was like that that was the thing that made all the headlines i'm like okay and like that that's cool um but everybody kind of knew that already and i think it's great that now they can actually show it in in the show uh one of the other things that uh, caught me off guard in this one was that they destroyed the mystery machine spoiler alert and then they had to go and like going like oh my god there was a montage to try and fix it and then it turns into the scary thing but they destroyed the mystery machine and they're driving around town in this like dilapidated like van and i'm like not the mystery machine no so many things happen but uh the show itself uh great for kids great for adults who love scooby-doo um the biggest mystery yet because they figured out um with uh velma of course uh figures out that somebody has been creating costumes for every bad guy in every Scooby-Doo movie or TV show. So it's been one person that's made all of the costumes. So then they finally find the one person that brings them all together. And you're like, what? But then the question is, now that they go and they catch this person, well, now that they're not making the costumes for the people, are there going to be more bad guys to catch anymore? Or without costumes, there's going to be nobody to unmask and all that. And uh you kind of find out that you need one um, uh, so that uh, you can keep uh, catching the bad guys because it gets pretty boring without bad guys to unmask. You know, you know what I, I'm saying? I, I would guess so. Yeah. Which also seems like a, it seems like a stretch really as a plot point, but uh, okay, yeah. I haven't seen hey, it. You watch time. your mouth. This is great. This hey, is fantastic. Well, I, I was going to say like the last few Scooby-Doo things I've watched. And I also, I grew up with Scooby-Doo. I love Scoob have been really bad. Uh, no, this has all of the right voice cast. Uh, so all of the right people are doing the voices. Um, the animation is old school and it's awesome. Uh, but Matthew Willard is being shaggy and Frank Welker is Scooby-Doo. And you've got Gray Delisle in there and Kate McCoochie being Velma. And it's, uh, uh, you know what, for a Scooby-Doo movie, and even my son uh, Castle said the same thing, one of the best we've ever seen. I would give this thing like a high 80s, probably low 90s. You need to watch it. There you go. Okay, I'll check it out. I was actually oh, reading the other day. Like, whoa, Scoob. Yeah. I gotta get out of here. I, the other day, oh, I uh, was reading about James Gunn, who wrote the original Scooby-Doo movie with Matt Willard and, and yeah. Freddie Prince Jr. as, uh, what's that character's name? Hank? Uh, he, he was playing Frank, yeah. Um, Fred, sorry. Fred, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he said in the original draft that he wrote, Velma was a lesbian. Uh, and then the studio at different stages got a hold of it. And so by shooting, I think it was like, well, it's implied she's a lesbian. And then by editing, it was like, I don't know, it's she could be like 
you know, she's not a lesbian, but it's like, well, you know, we just were ambiguous about it. And then by like the time the film came out, or maybe it was the, I think it was the sequel. She had a boyfriend yeah. in the sequel. So it was like, yeah. they slowly backed away from his, like, you know, not he good. tried to do that 20 some years ago. So, so uh, it took anyway, until 2022 that Velma can be herself on I'm screen glad now. Velma can there. live her truth. And I'm glad to hear that it was uh, decent. Oh yeah. Uh, I'll yeah. definitely check it out with my kids. So uh, I watched uh, something called Werewolf by Night, which is a Marvel uh comics show an mcu show uh it's actually kind of a like one-off um you call it a movie if you want but it's less than an hour it's about 53 minutes or something like that uh there it's it's interesting in that they've not really done anything like this before it's uh it's black and white um it's you know very much like uh it, it takes homage from like universal monster movies and that kind of stuff uh, it was directed by Michael uh, Giacchino, who usually does, like, he's the composer for a lot of stuff. He composed the music for the Batman that we love so much. Uh, it stars Gael Garcia Bernal as uh, Jack Russell, uh, who is basically, like, it's about, the story's about five monster hunters who are summoned by uh, Ulysses' widow after his death. Uh, where they're instructed to participate in a competitive hunt to determine who's going to be the new leader that yields the bloodstone. Uh, and the monster that they're hunting, a slight spoiler here, but not not really a big deal, is uh, Man-Thing. So it was really cool to see Man-Thing show up. Um, I think this is, it's neat, and it was neat to see Marvel go in this direction and do something so cool and stylized. Uh, and it's quite violent, I will say. I wouldn't call it scary, uh, maybe for little kids, but not for adults. Uh, quite violent though uh and so you know interesting that they're going to go that way and that that is more interesting when you think of things like you know wolverine and deadpool uh coming down the pipe uh and whether that you know will be uh you know an r-rated you know what what disney can do with that but the i would have to say overall it was very slight like there's there there's that concept that i just told you about not much more than that happens in it uh you know so i would say like it's not terrible by any means but it definitely it's not rocketing to the top of my things to see uh, this year so uh give it a give it a check out if you want but like just be warned it's it's you know it's it's it is what it is it's an hour of just people hunting a monster basically yeah and it's the right length right so at an hour you're like okay if it was like a two-hour investment maybe yeah you know. Yeah, exactly. So, but I think they kind of, and it's not that there's no character work or anything done, but it kind of skimps on that stuff a little bit, I think. So I would say it was kind of average. I think I gave it three stars on Letterboxd or something. Uh, the other movie that I think we both watched uh, streaming on Shudder is called Deadstream. And we've got, uh, I don't oh, know what yeah. minutes left here. So the film centers around a character named Sean, who's a YouTube personality who is known for releasing videos centered on his fears. Uh, he sort of prior to the start of the film the backstory is that one of his videos resulted in the hospitalization of a homeless man and so he lost his sponsors and his fan base uh and he's trying to regain his popularity and his and he's got a one new sponsor so he agrees to live stream himself spending the night in death manor a purported haunted house where several people have died so this is a found footage uh film and uh i think it actually like it's fairly well done. It's probably too long, and the concept eventually gets a little tired, but the guy in it's funny. He's kind of this stupid, uh, what's that internet personality, uh, uh, Lucas Paul or Jake Paul or whatever. Maybe they're brothers. Jake Paul, you know that guy, the 
YouTuber. Uh, he's kind of like a jerk face like that, but you know, it's funny. Uh, and I would say the neatest thing about it is like, I've been watching these found footage movies for years and years. And obviously some of them are better than others. Some of them are really terrible, but oftentimes it's always a stretch to be like, well, why was there even a camera on here? while they were, while this was happening. Whereas he's got himself hooked up in this rig. He's setting up cameras all around. Cause the point is that he's making this YouTube thing. So it actually makes a lot of sense in terms of like, in the genre itself which i thought was really cool we've got about a minute and a half left what did you think i uh i loved the uh because of him live streaming there uh, have all the comments showing up on yes. everything and to me that was the most like i know it's not realistic but it was the most realistic part like you're reading some of these comments and it's like yeah that's exactly what people would say to these uh the other thing is that i uh when i i posted on uh, fisher cruise there that uh sean like uh, the main guy there he screams just like me so <laughs> yeah. and i'm like yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it'll be okay man uh i found it quite entertaining i gave it an 81 uh but i definitely uh, uh in the future i'd watch it again i thought it was good yeah i think it was fun uh like i said my only complaint was that maybe it was it stretched it out a bit longer than it really should have but it you know i think it was entertaining all the way through uh yeah and i mean it is obviously october right now so i don't know about you but i'm watching a lot of horror stuff uh and you know that you know that fit really well into that category for Halloween. Well, if you mix that in with trick or treat Scooby Doo, you've got a full night of entertainment. There, there you go. go, exactly. Which I'll do with the kids after they go to bed. I'll watch something scary. <laughs> All right. Well, that's our time for this week. Let's throw back to Jody and everybody else at Punch HQ. Keep your dukes up. Yay! Okay. Thank you, fellas. Um, that was very interesting. I do want to see that Scooby Doo show. And Werewolf by Night also sounds awesome. So I really need to get off my dust duff and see that. So. Last week, we teased that we were going to talk about Gotham City, year one. This is the new comic by Tom King. It's real good. What did you think of it, Brennan? Um, it's nice to see Tom King do a really great straight-ahead detective pulp noir kind of book. So here we have uh, Slam Bradley. He is given a letter that he needs to deliver to the Wayne household. And this story is going to tell us the fall of Gotham City. So how, you know, at one point it was, you know, the Waynes were like the pillars of society and, you know, we're going to make Gotham a great city. Um, this book is going to explain how it eventually fails, for lack of a better term. But what's nice, it's a really good straight ahead story. Um, I know sometimes Tom King, some people that don't like him, don't like the fact he bounces around quite a bit. Uh, this one's quite a bit more linear. It reminded me a little bit of like the human targets because it's like this sort of like crime kind of book but way more, again, like this could be a black and white TV show, something that I would have like super liked to watch as a kid. Like I used to love like the Rockford Files and Columbo as a kid, I believe it or not. So if they redid this in the seventies or as a black and white detective show, yeah, it was a really, it was a really great read. I liked, I liked the pacing of it. Uh, the art is fantastic. You know, it sets up a lot of really cool stuff. So I'm interested to see where it goes from there. What did everyone else think of I, I really did it a lot. Like, it feels like a Brubaker book. It, if you haven't mm. read Gotham Central, you should definitely pick that up because it is very much like this. It is film noir. Like, it's, it's dark. There's lots of shadows. There's, you know, the sort of tropes that they play with where, you know, the beautiful woman comes to the office and drops off this envelope that he has to deliver. 
and of oh. course somebody follows her and so there, it's it's cool and but it's in the batman world which is yep. really even cooler and like they, they do give you a few little easter eggs of characters that have crept up in the past that you know maybe you don't know or maybe you know have only been periphery but it's really interesting and I love the look of it and this is one of my favorite genres is that film noir crime drama so I am looking forward to getting a whole lot more of this yeah even like the private detective like in the rain right even that scene is in there where he's out in the street in a close-up and his nose is a little bit crooked because he's been hit too many times and he's He's getting it rained on and he's like, oh man, like so good. But he can still smoke in the rain because he's wearing a fedora. Exactly. So that's what you're in for if you want to pick up this comic. Would you guys say this is set in the 50s? Is that? Oh, it's definitely, I would say 40s. Maybe, maybe even earlier. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's it's really, really cool. I like when, when Gotham appears in that era, sort of like in Mask of the Phantasm, where you're looking at like a 40s, 50s look. This comic doesn't look like Mask of the Phantasm, but it looks like it's trying to capture the same, uh, the same decade. Yeah, the grit, the grit is there. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, um, another one that I read this week that I just wanna quickly mention is a book called Kaya. And it's like about a brother and a sister who used to be, you know, royalty, and their kingdom is now gone and they're trying to survive out in the desert, basically. This is uh, Wes Craig. Wes Craig's probably best known for his work on Deadly Class with Rick Remender, but this is entirely his and it's pretty fun. I really enjoyed it and I'm gonna read more. What else did you read this week, Brennan? Um, well, actually I was thinking a bit more on the Batman subject just because okay. you were talking about Batman. So a couple recommendations. Uh, I'm sure this isn't new to anyone, but uh, check out Batman Thrill Killer. It is so good. It's one of my favorite Batman ever. It takes place in 1961, all painted. Uh, it has that like Jack Kerouac kind of vibe to it. You know, everyone is in cool clubs. Uh, it was really, really good. So again, read Thrill Killer, make sure you check out that one. Also anything that uh, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams ever did on Batman is great. Um, I have a super sized giant collection of every time he faces Ra's al Ghul, not every time, but uh, a selection of them. So great. Um, and this replicates my favorite, favorite Batman story ever, which I've talked about before. It came with a, a full-size record and there's two stories, one inside A, one inside B. Uh, side A, he uh, confronts Gorilla Grodd. Side B, he goes to London and meets Sherlock Holmes. Um, well, we don't know it's Sherlock Holmes until the end kind of thing. But the artwork looks exactly like Neil Adams and Dennis O'Neill writing. They're not a tribute to it on the record, but looking at this reprint I have of their artwork and looking at that record, it's the exact same. So I think it's one of those things they must have just re redid it or it's weird. Like sometimes I find in some comics that are like from the 60s and things, they didn't always have the artist name that easily found for whatever reason. So yeah, those are my favorite comics. For Batman, as well as Batman, Son of the Demon, just continuing with the whole Raz al Ghul. Uh, this was Michael Barr and Jerry Bingham. Um, and when I read this when I was younger, it was the first time that you kind of hear like Bruce Wayne having a life outside Batman, having a personal relationship, even though it's with the daughter of his fierce enemy. And of course, this is a story that um, had the cliffhanger ending of a child that uh, Grant Morrison ends up bringing back. 
and turning into Damien, who becomes uh, one of everyone's favorites, Robin. So uh, just a couple extra Batman little tidbits for you, some things to go look look up and find out while you're while you're thinking about Batman. It's interesting, like you mentioned about how like a lot of artists kind of got the shaft and they did absolutely, especially in the 50s and 60s, because these guys were working their butts off like it was a sweatshop. Literally, you sit at your desk and draw till your hand could not draw anymore. And you made a salary, which is you know, probably, you know, like 50 or $100 a week or something ridiculous. And of course, now all those originals are worth like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, yeah, it was not a fair industry, that's for sure. So yeah, sometimes it is difficult to find out if your favorite artist actually made something or not. But I think there's enough nerds in the world that have uh, uncovered the secrets to verify the content. So it's pretty cool. Um, you said you are also reading a little She-Hulk? I did. So I got through issue six. So this is uh, She-Hulk trying to help Jack of Hearts. Um, he's losing his powers and he's no longer getting radiation from people and things. So there was concern that he shouldn't be around her because he could be like soaking the gamma rays and things from her. Um, there is a nice appearance from Patsy Walker, also known as Hellcat. And what I like about this comic is that it's very much like the TV show. It's a day in the life kind of book where in the entire issue, there's no great big, huge battle with a super villain. She's going through her daily life. The lawyer she works for now, now unlike the TV show, that has put her in charge of like the superhero law department. Uh, the place she finally got a job with now doesn't want anything to do with superheroes. They said, nope, we are not at all interested. However, Nightcrawler comes in and there is the island of uh, Krakoa, if I'm pronouncing that right, that has a bunch of super beings on it that feel like they're having their rights taken away. So they are retaining her to be the lawyer for the entire island. And so now her... Uh, lawyer, lawyer firm, the law firm is now very interested because they'll make a lot of money. It's, it's really good. I like it a lot. It's, I mean, it's not as quirky and odd or funny as the John Byrne version, but it definitely does have like, a, like I said, this nice sort of like slice of life, living every day. This is what it might be like to be a, you know, seven foot Hulk lawyer. So yeah, She-Hulk, issue number six, it's been good so far from issue one. Um, it's been really consistent. So uh, check that one out. Um, I also read Sweetie Candy Vigilante. And uh, if you like Vampirilla meets Harley Quinn, could be a vampire, maybe not. Check it out. Okay, awesome. Those all sound good. Um, I was hoping that I would get through uh, Gun Honey Blood for Blood because two issues have come out so far and we haven't scratched the surface on that. That's going to have to wait till next week because we are out of time so brennan and i will read it and we will report the results and we're going to be at saska assemble this weekend to check out all the back issues and goodies so we'll probably have a report on that as well so in the meantime keep your dukes up and have a great weekend